Hey, everybody. This is episode 36 of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassain. Today, I'm talking with Janice Smith, the owner and founder of Big Dog Little Bed. Serving Durham, North Carolina and beyond since 2011, Big Dog Little Bed creates natural and meaningful videos to tell the stories that matter most for your business, your wedding, and family milestones and events. Janice Smith is a storyteller, dog lover, and agent of change with a passion for helping other female small business owners share the incredible work they do. In this episode, we talk about the value of capturing moments on film, embracing one's point of view, and much more. Enjoy. Hi, Janice. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I was looking at your wonderful website for a big dog little bed, and in your bio you wrote, I feel incredibly grateful to have found a career that still feels a lot like a hobby. How did you find this career? Yeah, I... It's so interesting to look back now because it seems very random. I didn't study it in college. I was in education for eight years. Um, But looking back at my childhood, it's clear that video and film played a strong role in my childhood. But it was from the lens of memory capturing and not filmmaking ever. So my parents had a video camera from literally when I was born, they bought one of those like big for the right. shoulder ones. <laughs> and they were like very committed to filming our childhood. And literally we have hours and hours and hours of tapes from that time period where they would just like sit us in the playroom and be playing with us and one of them would be filming. And um, as we got older, we would still sit down and watch what we called kid videos. And um, we like loved, we still do this. Family holidays will be like, just instead of watching a movie at night, we'll go back and watch like our favorite kid videos. So when I was in high school, it's probably no surprise that I invested some of my waitressing money my senior year in my, my first camera. But it wasn't, again, like I didn't do much editing into it. I just was filming my friends. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to capture the memories in that like period of time in my life. And that was really important to me. So those are the early signs. And I s- think they still show themselves in the way that I film now in that a lot of what we love to do is about capturing moments in time, whether it's for a couple or a family or a business. Even when the business films, the goal is marketing and bringing in more business. We still, we've gotten some feedback from some of our clients where it was like, they would get emotional seeing their business from an outside viewpoint, right? And it wasn't just the marketing, but it was like, I'm so in it all the time. And it's so hard a lot of the time to have this like beautiful three-minute film that captures the heart of who we are right now as a business. And that to me, like reflects back to like why I started doing this, which was capturing memories more than it was creating like beautiful, perfect films. Mm -hmm. Though the longer we've done it, we obviously care about you know, capturing beautiful images and and that quality being a part of it. But I think the heart of it is still the same, which is this idea of like memory capturing. I love this idea that the memories are the story. And you just talked about being able to watch our lives from the outside, which I think is really valuable. I mean, so I have a small, I have a two and a half year old and he is obsessed with watching videos of himself mm-hmm. on my iPhone. 
I love that about that age. And, oh, my gosh, it's like he, he says, Clarky Bobos, which means Clark's videos. So <laughs> it took me forever to figure out what he was saying. But now we watch Clarky Bobos all the time. And I, I resisted it at first because I, I didn't, I was like, I don't want to raise this narcissistic child who's not going to be in his life mm-hmm. because he's always looking for someone to film him and then obsessively watch it mm-hmm. afterwards. But I think that the value there, from my perspective, is that it, invests meaning in the lives that we are living yes. yes and it allows us to stop and acknowledge that that what we are doing is significant mm-hmm. and i think it's also a way of imprinting these important moments in our consciousness so that they don't go by and we lose track of them for sure yeah i think there's so much there i think there are so many memories I have from my childhood that we talk about as a family. Like, do I actually remember this or do I remember it because we've watched these kid videos so many times? And I don't know that the answer really matters because I do remember it and it is a significant part of my experience. I do think, and I struggle with this a lot, there is this fine line between like narcissism and vanity and capturing the memories. And I think selfies are a great example, right? Like they happen all the time. And I personally am obsessed with the selfie because I'm never in pictures unless I'm taking a selfie. Nobody ever (laughs) takes pictures of me. I'm the one taking the pictures. So selfies have become this like really great way for me to capture memories with my friends, with my dogs, with whoever. I'm here. I'm here. I exist (laughs) so that years from now I can look back and be like, I was also in that experience. Um, But there's a fine line between like, am I just taking pictures of myself because I'm having a good hair day, right? Right. Like, And so I think asking ourselves these questions and I think Thinking about that before letting your son watch all these videos, they're important questions to ask, but I I think we need to not miss this side of it that really does validate our experiences and tells our own story. Mm -hmm. Um, Even on family vacations now, I struggle with this. I want to make a film from the family vacation to remember it, and I also don't want to be behind my phone or my camera the whole time. And so that balance is a struggle. So you talked about your interest in this type of work. How did you decide to make a leap into starting your own business? Because that's a big leap to take. Yeah. Yeah. So it started the actual like editing and like making films rather than just capturing lots of footage um, happened when I was teaching 11th grade history. And we were learning about the Civil War while living in the South. And there was so much around us that I wanted my kids to see to bring to life the things that we were learning. So on weekends, I started going to these places and all I had was a point and shoot camera and like selfie style. I literally was like reporting live from the battlegrounds of Gettysburg, like while wearing a full reenactor outfit nice. that my friend let me like all in. I was, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And so I would come back with all this footage, you know, like no microphone, like it was horrible footage. And I had to figure out like, how do I turn this into something that I can show my kids? So I like, learned iMovie because it was free on my laptop and started editing and immediately became addicted to editing. Mm. It was like the first time that I really could sit down and be fully focused on something for hours at a time. It was just so um, addicting for me. And I loved that creation process. And to this day, I I still think that editing is my favorite part of of creating films. And um, 
that was the start of it. And then, of course, as soon as you start editing your own footage, you want to improve the footage. So I started buying better cameras and started making films with my kids at school and, like, other stuff. And then, you know, I was at that age. I was, like, 24, 25. My friends were starting to get married. And so um, I was in a wedding, and I begged her to let me bring my camera. And I filmed her wedding. Like, literally, I handed it off to a guest while I stood up at the front with her. And um, that was the first wedding film I created. And the real instigator was my mom saw that film and was like, oh my gosh, Janice, this is so good. And it is not good. Let me tell you, if you look back at this film now, it is not good. Um, But my mom was like always my biggest cheerleader. And so she like planted the seed and I was like, oh, somebody thinks this is good. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing more of them and they still, it took a while for them to get better. But every single film I would send to my mom first, not even intentionally, but that would give me the validation and encouragement I needed to be like, oh, I can I can do this. And then soon I had to start charging for it to, like, improve my equipment and, and things like that. And still half of our business is wedding films because I just love, like, especially editing wedding films. And I think it goes back to that memory capturing. This is such an important day for this family. And to be someone that's trusted to not just capture it with video, but to really tell that story through the edited film mm-hmm. um, is still very rewarding and creatively energizing for me. Was there a moment when you said, this is it, this is the time I'm I'm becoming big dog little bed? Yeah. Yeah. It was before I went full time. I had to like, if I was going to charge for it, I had to have a website. I had to, you know, start putting a name to it so that people could trust that they could invest in me for their wedding day. And so that was pretty early on. The name just came from a random, I was like sitting in a a room with Max's boyfriend and I had two dogs, a big dog and a little dog. And the big one would always squeeze into the little dog's bed. And I was like trying to come up with a name for the company. And he just like randomly was like, what about big dog, little bed? And immediately I was just like, yes, yes. Um, And it's been so good for us because we get to like use dogs in our branding. I get to bring my dogs to the studio. I encourage clients to bring their dogs to client meetings. And we just attract a lot of dog lovers, which is a fun like addition to the business. Mm -hmm. But the moment where I decided to go full time was I was at a a point of job transition and I was leaving one job. And, you know, then there's always this question of like, am I looking for another full time job or is now the moment where I can really make this happen? And I do think it's important if you really want to bring your dream from hobby to full-time business. I do think doing it as just a side business and then hoping that it will turn into a full-time business is a hard way to go about it. And I think when you jump off the cliff and you just have to build that parachute as you're going, it gives you the drive and like the motivation that you need to do everything it takes to make it succeed. Mm. Um, And that was six years ago now, I think. Yeah, that was probably the moment that it turned into a full-time gig. So you talked about jumping off and needing to build a parachute for yourself. How did you do that? What were the fr- the first steps that you took to really make this go? I think when it came to Big Dog Little Bed, we were very lucky. And I don't, looking back, I don't know quite how or why this happened, but that first wedding season, which part of it was when I was still at my job and then I left my job in June and the rest of it was through the end of that year, We shot 19 weddings that year, and I don't quite know how or why we got that many so quickly. I think our price point was certainly part of it. Um, I lacked creative confidence, and I don't think my films were good enough to be charging a ton more, but I do think that I undervalued the amount of time and energy I was putting into it. 
the positive side of that was we booked 19 weddings, which gave me some financial cushion. But in the time in between there, when you don't have another job, it was just like, okay, what else can I do to get our name out there? We did a creative project called Reason Number, where we filmed a bunch of different places in Durham in our free time. I spent more energy thinking about marketing, building our website. What are the things that we need to do to bring in clients? If it had just been, and when it was a side job, while I was also working at a school, it was like I had to carve out time at nights and weekends just to get the work done, just to finish the films. There was no time being spent on like, how do we get more clients? How do we market? How do we get our name out there? That didn't happen until I left that job and had more space that could be filled with those other pieces. Mm-hmm. I think it's a challenge when you have a product-based business, because when you you talked about having you know, you're divided between your full-time day job and then trying to just finish the products. Mm-hmm. So there isn't that spaciousness that you need to be working in your business right. because you're just trying to deliver right. to people. So having that space is really hard to come by and really important to ramping up. Yes. And I still struggle with that because even now, the more clients we bring in, the more work that we have to produce and deliver on time. And so just this year, we hired an assistant editor who's working for us. 20 hours a week and and ramping up to 30. And what that's allowed me to do is he does a lot of the editing. And it's nice for him. He gets to come in and just be creative for 20 to 30 hours, which is great. And what it allows me to do is I'm still, my hands are in the client management and some of the editing, but it it gives me that space where it's like, okay, I'm thinking about what kind of like blog posts are we writing to attract our ideal client? What kind of marketing are we investing in? What are those extra steps? Even like what kind of networking, who are we building relationships with that we would like to collaborate with creatively? But you need that space. And if you're just overwhelmed with the product and creating that, I don't think you get the space to really grow. This brings to mind our phone conversation that we had prior to the podcast when we talked about how creatives in business have a tendency to focus primarily on the product, I think especially in the beginning, but perhaps over time as well, because that is you know, what you're primarily invested in, right? Is sure. this thing you want to make. And you mentioned that successful creative businesses are more than just their products and that in addition to making great films, you need to think about process and point of view. So you have been in business for seven years, which is a huge achievement. And so congratulations for that. That's really impressive. But what are your thoughts about things like process and point of view? Have they changed over time? Yeah. And I actually heard that on a podcast like a year and a half, two years ago, where someone pointed that out, that you need to be thinking about more than just product, but also about these other two things. And it really pushed me to think more about my own business. And I realized that the process had grown over time. So my background was in teaching. And as a teacher, you are reflecting constantly, like literally mid-lesson, mid-day, mid-week. You are always reflecting on like, okay, what went poorly and how do I adjust this to get better results? And as a teacher, everything is your fault. So like (laughs) if something goes wrong in my classroom, I have to believe that it's within my control to change it. And so I'm always thinking about what can I do to change it. And so over those seven years, I'd already been thinking about process just because that self-reflection piece was so ingrained. So anytime a film didn't come out how I wanted or, you know, an interview, the audio wasn't quite good enough, I'm immediately reflecting so that before the next interview, I'm tweaking that mistake 
or, you know, how could I have prepared for that interview better in the process in order to have, like, had better questions and gotten to the heart of the story sooner? I was just constantly reflecting on that overall process. How do I onboard clients better? How do I offboard them better? Um, We're still tweaking our process. But I think naturally over time, trial and error helped us really get better at the process piece. But the point of view piece, when I heard that in that podcast, I was like, oh, shit, like that is something that we're not doing enough of. And in fact, in reflecting back, I am not someone who's shy about my point of view. But in my business, I definitely shied away from it because in those early years when you're full time, you have to pay the bills. And so any work is good work. That's what we think. And so I was taking any project. Someone would call me and be like, can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. Like I could do everything. And part of that pushed me to not share my point of view because who am I going to scare away? And I think that goes from like little things to big things. So like a little one, right? Like we're a dog driven company, period. (laughs) It's in our name. But even then I was always shy to like say anything definitive about dogs versus cats, which like I love all animals. So it's not a big thing. But even that is a small point of view that when I started expressing more strongly my love of dogs and incorporating it in our branding, we attracted more dog loving couples. It makes sense. To the bigger things where, you know, as a female business owner, I have encountered a lot of different experiences as both a female filmmaker and entrepreneur, and I shied away from ever talking about them. And after I heard that podcast, I stopped shying away as much and started talking more about that. And interestingly, I started getting so much positive feedback from other female business owners and filmmakers who were following us on social media And I now had a larger community of people who shared in those experiences. And we now work with so many female clients who were compelled by that point of view, were intrigued by what we were sharing. And when it came time for them to need a video for their business, there was a more obvious choice, right? Regardless of film quality, which I like to think holds up to that. But even so, that point of view, I think, was what was pulling some of those people in. And so over time, I look at the clients we're working with, and it is really evolve to be more of our ideal client, the more that I'm open about our point of view, even though it's scary that maybe less men are hiring us because I'm open about that. But maybe that's okay. Like maybe this is, these are my people and this is who I want to be working with. Or maybe they're not. Maybe you're not working with fewer men. Maybe you're just working with more women. You know, maybe they're just coming in droves. Yeah. Oh, it is really scary to take a point of view as a business. So scary. I wonder. That's very interesting. And there's still ones that I shy away from. Oh, yeah. So being a single woman in the wedding industry is a point of view that I've thought recently so much about talking about, and I'm still shying away from it because it's very vulnerable. It's like admitting that you're... 34 and single is, you know, a vulnerable place, but it it shapes my experience in the wedding industry because there's so many husband-wife teams. There's so many, like, really religious-driven married women. Like, this is the point of view you hear a lot when you follow people in the wedding industry, and that is not my point of view. I've been in a lot of relationships. I've dated a lot. I'm not married, and yet I work in this industry that is all about, like, finding the one and, like, this this will complete you and make you happy forever. And then, you know, everything falls into place. And that's just not the perspective that I have. It doesn't mean I don't love weddings. I do. And I love love. But my point of view is very different on that one. Mm -hmm. But it's still one that this is the first time I've shared it publicly. So it's not one that I've written about or talked about because it's just it's scary to take that point of view. So I think we're always growing and there's lots of point of views that we could share at different times. It definitely takes bravery and self-awareness and confidence to to really, you know, um, go there, I think. And certainly the belief that your point of view is worthwhile. For sure. Right? 
like, oh, this might actually be a good thing yeah. that I have my this point of view. This might set me up for more success yeah. because I have a point of view that not everyone has yeah. and that that is a good thing. But it's scary because in your head, you're like, wait, does anyone care, though? It's the same thing with our creative work. It's such a vulnerable space to put it out there and be like, I believe in this and think it's beautiful. But do you? And that's you kind of end it with that question, like, please tell me that you also believe <laughs> this is worthwhile. And that's the same thing with the point of view. And I think to do both of those in creative work, it's just like, here, here's like everything of me out on this place for everyone to see and judge and critique and respond. And that's just, it's scary. It's worthwhile, but it's scary. Right, right. So speaking of spaces that leave us feeling vulnerable, as you mentioned, you have been walking this path of filmmaker and entrepreneur that are, those are historically places where women have been in the minority. And what what have you observed in those spaces? I I have lots of thoughts on those separately. And I found as I like think about those thoughts, they're actually like very intertwined. It's also worth noting that I'm a women and gender studies major in college. (laughs) So I've thought a lot, like I grew up thinking critically about like gender roles and how that plays out. So it's been impossible for me to like not pay attention to those things purely from like a sociology perspective as I've like lived that out. I think one of the biggest observations I've noticed, and these, to be clear, are generalities. There are exceptions on both sides. But in general, I have noticed that men are eager to talk about the things they know and the things that they're good at. And women are more eager to talk about the things they're struggling with or the things they're working to get better at. And that plays out in so many ways. When I go to networking events where there's men and women, I find conversations with men, like I will be more apt to talk to someone about like something that I'm working on or something that I have questions about. And they will be quick to jump in with what they know and teach me about it. And it comes from a helpful place. And honestly, I think women win here because if I'm willing to talk about what I'm struggling with, I leave that conversation having learned something new that can help me with that struggle. And he leaves with nothing other than maybe added confidence that he's contributed to someone else. But like ultimately, it's not helping his business. It's helping mine. So it comes from a good place. And I do want to acknowledge that. But it also creates this interesting power dynamic where what is my role in this group? My role is to be taught. My role is to learn. And if it's never flipped around, I think that just becomes an interesting emotional place maybe for me as a woman. I was in a, a, an accelerator here in Durham, and I was the only woman. And very quickly, within weeks, I like kind of filled this role of like little sister that we're all coaching, oh, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, and again, I won. I had all of these men who were rooting for me and giving me advice and coaching me. But like, I also brought a lot of experiences to that group. And never was I asked for my perspective or for my experiences because I just filled this role because I was always asking questions and I was always listening to their advice. I filled this role of being the one who needed the help Mm -hmm. instead of the one who could provide help. And ultimately, again, I think that helped my business. But in terms of like just confidence and like who you are in that interaction, that can be really hard. But yet I've joined We Collective, which is a women's entrepreneur group here in Durham, and our networking events feel so different. It's like all of these women who are just like open and honest about the things that they're working on, and we just troubleshoot them together. And I find that rather than adopting the role of teacher, we tend to adopt more of the role of cheerleader Mm -hmm. and encourager. And that's such a like empowering space to be in. And I've just found that going to those events, I leave energized and feeling encouraged while also, I mean, it's not that I'm not coming away with things that will help my business because we're all troubleshooting together, but it's like 
community versus this teacher-learner environment that feels different. Right, right. That is really powerful. I am working with a group of women on a creative accountability group where we, the, the whole point of the group is to move our own creative work forward kind of incrementally. And it is wonderful to be in an environment where you acknowledge that the people in the room have something that they're working on that they are the experts in, that they have the answers within them, and we're supporting them. I mean, we're brainstorming ways to help if they need those things, but it's more about saying, you got this, you can do this, we're here for you, rather than saying, like, let me tell you how to do this Mm -hmm. thing. And it is very empowering, and I think, at least for me, it helps me feel the energy I need to move forward with more confidence. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I do. I do have this. Like, Mm -hmm. I do know a thing, you know, and um, to make progress rather than always looking for somebody else to tell me the answers. Yeah. And I think that confidence piece, like we talked about earlier, is so important in creative businesses, like to charge what you're worth and to feel confident marketing yourself to the people that you want to work with. And one place that we can get that confidence is within those networking groups if we are trusted as someone who also has something to offer. And if we're constantly the learner, it only undermines that confidence further. And again, it gives you like resources. But if you leave always feeling like I don't have anything to offer, then that has to translate into your business and the confidence that you project in your outward image and, you know, how you're able to charge for what you do. Right, right. I think on the filmmaking side, it's been interesting to observe some of this, too, because, like, there's just a lot of male filmmakers and everything from, like, one-on-one interactions with them to Facebook groups. There's also that energy of, like, we talk a lot about gear and we like to tell people a lot about gear. And, like, there's this Facebook group I'm in that's, like, all men. And it's, like, so interesting to notice. Like, I was observing the gender dynamics in it and the women would pop in and like ask questions. And then the comment thread would quickly turn to bullying. And inevitably there was like mean comments and like talking down to people. And so over time, like women don't comment in this group. And now there's another group for just female filmmakers. And that's where I spend all my time. And the energy in there is so different because there's no bullying. There's no shaming. There's no like talking down. It's like everyone's just kind of asking questions and sharing what we know when we know it. But it like feels so much more collaborative. Yeah, it's just so different. And it's still interesting to observe, like, I'll be shooting weddings with my male second shooter, and regularly guests will approach him as the owner of the company and ask questions about the company and assume. And just recently, we were, we were rated on some website. I don't I don't know the legitimacy of it, but we were rated one of the top three videographers in Durham. And the image that they chose to put, one image on top of the name of the company, is an image of my second shooter. And I just find that interesting. Like, if you spend two seconds on our website, you know this is a female-owned company. You can find a picture of me that you can use all over our Instagram. We share pictures of our whole team. And I love my second shooter. This is not about him at all. But it is about, like, like, why? Why did they choose that picture to represent our company? Like, either you didn't do your research or you did do your research and you still chose that picture. And, like, why? Hmm. It's interesting to think about. Yes, absolutely. The observations, the assumptions, mm-hmm. the the questions that come up when you actually start paying attention to these things. And I'm sure that you have to pay attention to this all the time because you are the founder and the head of a business. Speaking of business and art, we were talking about this a little bit before we started today. 
now that you have this team and the team is doing the shooting and doing the editing, and you're still doing this too, but you're also doing all these other things related to the business, how do you maintain for yourself that creative spark and that fulfillment that making creative work gives you? It's so hard. I wish I had a good answer to that. I'm still working on it. I used to, I look back sometimes now at films from like my first couple years and it's tricky because like they're so different from one another, but it was clear that I was just like, whatever makes me happy in this moment is what I'm editing for this film, right? And it was like, so two wedding films could look very different. And once you grow and your clients are really investing in you, both businesses and couples, they want and need consistency. We talk about that all the time with our brand. If you go to someone's portfolio, you want an idea of what kind of work they're going to produce so that when you hire them, you have an expectation of what they'll produce for you. And so with that comes pressure of you've seen my portfolio and that's what you want. I mean, you want it to be your business or your wedding, but you want it to have the same look and feel, which leaves less space for trying new things or Mm -hmm. playing around or or being creative. So I think for me, what I'm working on now is finding those personal projects where I can do that. I have one coming up that I'm really excited about with Doreen of Dora Ceramics. And I love her business so much because it ties in to like my whole belief system, which is your story through clay. And she makes these kind of custom pieces where you can pull fabrics or textiles or plants that are meaningful to you or to a person in your life and have these custom-made ceramics that tell their story. And so for me, I lost my mom a year and a half ago to cancer. And her and I are partnering on a really cool project, which I don't want to share too much of because we're surprising some people with it. But I'm going to document the journey of doing some of this work with her and document it from like a first person point of view, which is a different style of film Mm. than I normally make. And I'm really excited about one, partnering with a company I believe in. And two, she's totally open to me being creative with it. And so I can play Mm -hmm. and not worry about the pressure of a a typical client project. And so I'm really excited to be working on that and to think, how do I do more of these? And what are, where are there opportunities to do Mm -hmm. more like that? Yeah, that sounds wonderful. What a heart, heart and play project. Is there a story that you'd like to share about uh, a client project that? was particularly meaningful to you or? Yeah. So it's interesting because this project came up, as we were talking about earlier, how I started to become more open about, you know, being a female-owned business. And so there was this period of time within the last six months where I started speaking more about that and started hearing from a lot more female business owners, specifically creative female business owners. And one of them who I heard from during this time period was Beth Mann of Early Bird Photo. And she has this incredible project called the Who I Am Project. And she works with middle school girls and their parents sign them up for it. And they come in for a photo shoot and they think it's just like a, you know, I'm 13, I'm in middle school, I'm just doing this like photo shoot. And she really showcases their personality and captures these professional, beautiful images of them and then reaches out to important people in their lives and asks them questions about that girl. And then she puts it together into the slideshow where it's the beautiful images where she can see how beautiful she is paired with these words that speak to her true beauty inside. And she surprises them with their family with a slideshow at the end. And so she called me and wanted to do a brand story film about this project. And I just immediately, like I have goosebumps right now talking about it. Immediately I was like, this is the perfect mix of like what I believe in, empowering young girls working with a female business owner and then being able to tell this story through film, which I just think is a more powerful 
avenue to tell that story than just pictures or just writing. And so it just felt like this perfect synergetic project that felt so rewarding and was validating for me. And like, these are the kinds of projects you get when you put yourself out there and what you believe in. And it just happened to come right at that time. And maybe it's coincidence, but maybe it is that idea that when you you are more vulnerable with yourself and who you are, you bring in these projects that really match what you're passionate about. Can we talk a little bit about brand stories Mm -hmm. and the value of film versus photos or just blog posts with words these days? Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of a misconception with brand stories. And when companies think about telling their story, they're like, okay, what is my story? I have one story that I need to tell. And I don't think that's true. I think every business has a lot of different stories about their business that they could tell. And the real question is, Who are the clients I'm trying to reach and what story is going to connect emotionally with them the best? And so part of our process with Brand Story Films is sitting down with that company and helping them brainstorm what are the different stories you could tell? Who do you want to reach? What do you want to be happening with your business right now? And how do we best tell that story? And when you do that, I don't think all of those stories need to be told via film. I think some of them can be told through pictures. Some of them can be told through writing or blog posts. But some of them really are more powerful when told through film. And that's what we're trying to help you figure out is which of these can we harness the power of video to tell that story and connect emotionally with your clients. I think a good example is we worked with a company called Well-Loved Piano. And I love them. I love the owner. I love everyone who works for them. They're a great company. But when we sat down to talk about the stories and we did pre-interviews with some of their past clients, this one story emerged, which was this woman who was gifted a piano from her husband. She hadn't played in years. And playing piano was her happy place. And she just hadn't done it because she didn't have a piano. And he surprised her with a Yamaha piano. I don't know a lot about pianos, but I learned through this process that a Yamaha is a good reliable piano. It's not the highest end. So she really struggled with it at first. It wasn't expressing what she was feeling emotionally via the music, right? So suddenly the story comes out about like pianos being more than just this instrument that needs to be tuned, but this is like a vehicle for expression. Mm -hmm. And so she found this company, Well Loved Piano, and they worked with her to take this mid-level piano and really tweak it and treat it in a way that it could now express what she was feeling. And then that transformation from her like feeling frustrated to now feeling like, oh, like I'm back to this place where I can practice every day and and feel fulfilled doing this. Like that's a brand film for that company, but that is not about that company. That is about musicians and that's their client, right? Like it's it's really connecting with every musician who feels that like my instrument is just a tool for expressing myself mm-hmm. and I want it to be the best possible tool it can be. And so to me, that's like that's different than traditional marketing. You're not just telling the story of what year were you founded and how long have you been around and what makes you different. You're telling the real story behind it. And I think video for that one was the best place to tell that story. So one more question. Sure. What's next for you? Such a good question. (laughs) I think in terms of what's next, the biggest thing that we are thinking about all the time is how do we better serve the clients that we most like working with and who have the biggest impact on the world? And my background in education, I did Teach for America and then worked primarily in traditionally low-performing districts in high-poverty communities. And we were working to close the achievement gap. And it was really, really hard. I think it's the hardest job out there. 
But the piece of it that was so, there were lots of pieces that were rewarding. But every day I went to work knowing that I was doing something that was having an impact on the world. And while I believe in the work that we do now and feel very creatively fulfilled and inspired, the question that I'm left with that I'm I'm really grappling with as a company now is how do we also create films that are good for the world. And so we're thinking a lot. And the Who I Am Project is a great example. Like, I really believe in what she's doing for the world, and it felt so good. Um, We work with a lot of the schools that I used to teach at, creating films that tell their story and help them raise money to continue their mission and grow. And we want to do more of those projects. So how do I take my background in, you know, political science and women's studies and my passion for social justice and use our films to really do some of that work while still being financially sustainable as a company? And so I think that's a tough question, but I do think there are organizations and projects out there doing good work. And we're partnering with the North Carolina Early Childhood Foundation right now and doing a film on businesses that have really progressive family forward policies that help support both women and men and families in the workplace really believe in what they're doing. Making this film is very, it feels really good to me right now because I, I believe in what they're doing for the world and we get to use our skill set to help them do that. So I think when I look forward, the biggest question I'm asking is how do we do more of that work and how do we partner more with organizations that are doing really good things for the world? Great. Thank you so much for this conversation. I love Thanks your work. I love your energy and I love your point of view, obviously. <laughs> so I can't wait to see and hear what is next for you. How do people reach you? Um, you can find us online at bigdoglittlebed.com, on Instagram at Big Dog Little Bed Productions, and on Facebook, Big Dog Little Bed Productions. Those are the three main places that we live. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Janice, so much. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so via our Patreon page, patreon.com slash artist soapbox. We recorded today at Shadowbox Studio in Durham, shadowboxstudio.org. Thank you so much, and we're out. <laughs> <laughs>